Hello, and welcome to the Low Tox Life podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host, and today is show 83. And I have the wonderful Tim Brooks with me today, who is the vice president of corporate responsibility at Lego. Now, some of you who saw me break the news a couple of years ago about Lego's ambitious target of no new petroleum being used in their products by 2030 at all, um, as well as incorporating better bioplastics um, and an all-round more sustainable supply chain, uh, will uh, know just how big that news was and they put together a $150 million task force of people, researchers, scientists, environmental scientists to come together and um, see how they're going to be able to do it. And today's show is my checking in with Lego, which thank thank you, Tim Brooks, wonderful for him to have made the time. Um, rather than writing an email or anything, I thought, what if I could get Tim on the phone and do a podcast so we could actually go through everything that's going on, everything they've discovered so far, the fails, the wins, um, and, uh, and really just uh, look under the hood, so to speak, at how they were going with this goal now that they're nearly three years in. And, uh, and it's a really inspiring chat. It's a beautiful way to check in with the fact that this isn't a black and white world and we always just have to be doing the best we can. And the amazing thing is, is when truly huge organisations do the best they can, then whew, we can make some pretty radical change pretty fast um, with huge, huge implications. And, uh, and it was, it's just really interesting. And Tim was very, um, forthcoming with information. It, it wasn't one of those PR spiely, um, situations at all. I really felt like, um, this was something that was going to add value to the world. And I knew that you guys would love to hear straight from the horse's mouth as well. So, um, so it's a great chat and I hope you enjoy it. Uh, but before I hook into that, I just wanted to talk about a couple of things. You've obviously still got the wonderful Walida who are the show supporter this month and you have a huge $20 at uh, $20, 20% off. So it could actually equate to far more than $20 depending on what you stock up on. Um, off their entire range, obviously excluding things like gift packs or things that are already discounted, um, but off the entire range of full-priced items and uh, free shipping with $29.95 orders or more. So it's a great deal, um, a huge saving, and uh, I know I'm going to be stocking up on my rose face cream, which I absolutely love and adore, the Smoothing Rose Face Cream. And, uh, and I've got an order from my sister for the calendula range for little baby Oscar, whom my nephew's won this week. I can't believe it. Um, and, uh, mum's popped an order in for the evening primrose, uh, eye cream. And, you know, we've got the whole family and my husband's getting his shaving cream. It's a good time to just think, okay, what do we use from Willita? I know lots of you guys use skin food, for example. You've got the beautiful body oils. I use the Annika body oil, um, and, uh, and they've been repackaged still in their beautiful glass bottles, but with a pump at the top instead of a screw top. So it's a bit less messy, easier to use on your countertop in the bedroom, in the bedroom or bathroom. Um, maybe I revealed too much there. There you go. Um, and, uh, we, um, we just, yeah, we just put together a big family order and we'll pop it through while we've got this amazing offer from Walida. So you've got all the details for the code and everything in the show notes. Um, but do make the most of that because April will be gone before you know it. Oh yeah, I'll get round to that. And then you forget, and then you have to buy something full priced when you could have stocked up on the good price. So enjoy that. 
I'm just going to make another quick mention of Low Tox Kids, our new e-course, which we've now added to Real Food Rockstars, Preconception Ninja, three courses that you can take anytime you like, um, specific to the goals you have at the moment. So if you've got children, you know, young, old teenagers, and you're trying to um, really assess how um, environmental toxins may be affecting them, we have this brilliant course now that really focuses on kids. Anyone who's done Go Low Tox will know that we've got the Kids Day. And this is really as if we had six Kids Day where we drilled really deeply down into a lot of detail on the various aspects of raising babies and kids low tox. And, uh, and I, I, I mean, I'm sure you agree with me in when I say that if we get it right for our kids from an early age, we can really um, ensure a much more resilient future picture for them. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, it's just a beautiful course. The practitioner interviews are incredible. One of the highlights, actually, and I've got her on the podcast in a couple of weeks as well, is Dr. Alyssa Song, who's a pediatrician from LA, uh, or California, sorry. And uh, she is uh, talking to us about... Um, you know, how you can actually start to feel a bit more comfortable and confident with home remedies for your kids at home, for example. Uh, and it's just packed. And, when, you know, when you've got a pediatrician saying it, not some random online guru, uh, you know what I'm like. I don't di- treat, diagnose, cure, heal or anything online. I think it's irresponsible. But, um, but when we can speak to a health professional who has had full medical training and actually has a couple of awesome little natural remedies up her sleeve for uh, for dealing with anything from cuts, bruises, bumps, eczema, asthma, fever, you name it. Uh, it's such a great interview. And actually on the podcast, I've got her expanding on eczema as well as talking about the modern childhood ep- epidemics that we face today. So, um, so, yeah, I got her twice. We actually spoke for three and a half hours that day, one for the podcast, one for the um, the low tox kids equals. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> Ooh, it was, um, there was just so much to talk about. I mean, you know, we could have talked about it for another three and a half hours, but low tox kids is available now on the homepage or through the show notes. And you just click, you register, it's 85 bucks Australian. So, you know, probably only about 55, 60 euro, um, 60, 65 US, really inexpensive. Uh, but I do like to have a tailored learning environment rather than a whole bunch of random blog posts that um, send people on um, on wild goose chases when it is specific to a certain topic. I like to bundle it with expert practitioners, doctors who can help us navigate this in a complete way. So you're not, you know, reading one blog post, getting scared, not knowing the full picture um, and looking at it from every angle. And that's why I really do believe um, e-courses are um, it's just something I'm really passionate about um, providing for you guys. So I hope you enjoy that and you join me. And we've got a lovely little private Facebook group. We've only launched last week, so it's only just starting to build. And I would love to see you join me there. Uh, the other little piece of news that I have before I get to our chat, uh, mine and Tim's chat, is that I don't know if you've noticed, but we have consciously decided to keep it to one show supporter per month. Um, We don't want to be completely free from a show supporter because I actually really like bringing these offers to you uh, because I know everyone's just trying to make all their swaps and that can cost money and it can be really helpful if you can get 20% off here and there, um, 15% off there, and it's, it's helpful and you guys love it. 
but I'm very conscious of um, lots and lots of offers before the show. So we're keeping it to one, um, but it does mean, and I'm going to be brutally honest, that currently with all the hours it takes to put it together, to research, to pay the producer, to pay my beautiful assistant Elise, to do the show notes, to coordinate the offers, to do all the things, uh, believe it or not, this show loses uh, $200 a week. So it's expensive to put on and we were thinking, you know, how do we create um, something that is a value add for our community so that they can support the show? And uh, I came across Patreon. Now, I don't know if you guys have seen this. I've got all the details in the show notes or you could just jump onto the Patreon website, P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Uh, but I came across it because uh, my good friends uh, Brooke from Slow Home and Kelly from Straight and Curly Podcasts. Um, have already signed up to this Patreon and it means that you can support your favorite podcasts. Um, but what I'd like to do is actually create some extra value in there and, um, and do something nice for supporters. And you can do it for literally as little as a dollar a month. So it's not a huge financial obligation, but enough people join and it really just helps people stay in the work that they're doing helping you achieve your goals or receive content that you know is balanced, fact-based, um, non-fake news-ish. And, uh, and I, I just really like the concept. So I've supported um, Brooke and Kelly's shows for $4 a month each, for example. You know, you can do $10 a month if you feel you have lots of disposable income, 20 If you just think, you know what, I really want to support it, but money's tight right now, a dollar a month is 12 bucks a year. It's amazing that, th- that this platform exists. And, um, and I'd urge you to actually just search through some of the podcasts on there because you can quite quickly end up supporting um, quite a few wonderful shows all up for $20 a month and it just lets great people do great work and I love that. But what we'll also do for people who become Patreon supporters of the show is finally start a Low Tox Life Facebook group. Now, the reason I haven't had a Facebook group up until now is because of the sheer manpower it would take to basically to mitigate all the greenwashing, well-being, well, well-meaning recommendations that you see in a lot of eco, zero waste, um, sustainability uh, forums. Um, you see a lot of fighting as well between vegans and paleos and, you know, it's just not our vibe at Low Tox Life. Uh, and I, I was always just kind of um, cautious of taking on another group admin role, um, already adminning all of our course groups because I'm so passionate about staying close to the education side of things. But this way, I'll be able to have a couple of group moderators as we build our supporters, people who've been through Golo Talks, Real Food Rockstars, people who actually have the facts and can help guide people. Um, plus, over time, I would love to be able to provide transcripts um, for the show once we hit a budget that we can do that. I'd also love to be able to afford a better microphone. I mean, I've got my list of things that I want to do and I think Patreon is just going to be a beautiful way for everybody to chip in as you see fit. Um, and you don't have to, by the way, either. The, the show will go on if you don't um, pay to support it. It's just that there'll be that private Facebook group as well and to that I want to add a little Lotox book club. So, um you know, we interview a lot of authors and I'd love to be able to pull them off the limited time we have on the show and really dig deeper into some of the books that they've written and um, and provide some bonus content. In fact, uh, if anyone joins today, for example, you'll see we've started the Facebook group already. There'll probably be like two people in it this week, I imagine. But, um, you know, over time we'll build and it'll be wonderful. 
Um, nothing starts, um, you know, as a full success from day one. I get that. But um, you'll see a little bonus couple of questions. So when Tim and I were, um, we had just hooked the call up on Friday night. It was quite late here in Sydney and um, because he's over in Denmark. And, uh, and my son, I had just put my son to bed a few minutes before and he told me later that he heard me start talking to Tim and he said to himself, it's the cutest thing ever, my son is obsessed with Lego, this is my chance. And so he got out of bed and he walked down the hallway and he sort of sheepishly opened my office door and um, and I said, oh, hey, sweetie, do you want to ask Tim any questions? And he asked him a couple of questions. So I've actually got those in our private Facebook group today. For anyone who joins me over there, um, you'll, you'll see our first little piece of um, added content uh, and, uh, and it's just gorgeous, yeah. So he gave a really good packaging idea, actually. I was very impressed. So, yeah, I hope you enjoy that for anyone who joins me over there. But anyway, uh, there's so much I want to talk about. It's all, of course, recapitulated in the show notes um, from the Walida offer to Lotox Kids to the new Patreon support page that we have. And um, then once you become a supporter on Patreon, you'll see that the um, little bonus bits unlock within there and you get the details for the Facebook page, etc. So without further ado, I will start our chat with the wonderful Tim Brooks from Lego. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Hello, Tim. How are you? Hi there. I'm great. Thank you. It's uh, afternoon here in Denmark. So uh, Friday afternoon, we're looking forward to the weekend. Ah, wonderful. Well, I've started my weekend-ish, uh, but you know, this is my version of fun, having amazing conversations with people like you. So I, I'm, I'm calling it my, my downtime. <laughs> um, and it's quite late on a Friday night here. And uh, for anyone who um, is part of our little private Facebook group that we've started, for the podcast, uh, you will see a little bonus version with my son asking Tim a couple of questions, completely impromptu. He walked in because he heard I was starting the interview and he knew I was interviewing you and it was just quite sweet that he thought, I just want to go and say hi. It was just <laughs> divine. And, um, and you could see, I could tell by the look on his face that he was very, very proud. So that was gorgeous. Um, and now there's so many things that I want to cover, but I would love for us to just learn a little bit more about you first. And so, you know, what did growing up as Tim look like? Were you, a, were you a little greeny kid or, you know, was it something that came to you as a series of ahas a bit later as you grew up? Yeah, it's a good question. I think my, my parents were a little bit green. I grew up in the late 70s, early 80s, and my parents were a little bit green with whatever that meant at the time. And there was a program in the UK called The Good Life, and I always think they were ah. a little bit like Tom and Barbara Good. We had goats and we had uh, uh, other bits and pieces, but I, I think there wasn't that level of environmental understanding that there is now. We, I mean, the, the thing we talked about was the CFCs and the ozone layer, I guess. Mm. So my, I guess my ha-ha moment, I think I was about uh, nine or ten or maybe a little bit older, and there was a, a proposal to build a wind farm above uh, the village where I lived on the moor. And I just thought that was super cool. I thought, wow, how can you make energy from the wind? I mean, that's pretty amazing. And um, maybe I was about 14, I think. And, and uh, the company organized a bus trip to a nearby wind farm and just on the edge of the Lake District in northern England. And, and I was the only person out of the whole sort of town that turned up. To oh, you're kidding. Oh, wow. oh, so I went I went with the guy who organized it just in his car in the end. And 
I guess these days that wouldn't be allowed to happen. I don't know. But uh, anyway, I went off with him and uh, we saw this wind farm. And it, for me, it was just the coolest thing that we could we could generate uh, energy from the wind. And uh, it was sort of I thought it was free at the time. I didn't realize you had to pay for wind farms. And, <laughs> but yeah, that was sort of my aha moment. And uh, that and getting a group. Blue Peter Green Badge, which was a kids TV program uh, when you were younger. Oh, yeah. And just the idea of, you know, waste and cutting and being able to reuse waste. And I think it, those kind of concepts are very simple and pure. And I think uh, as children, you can you can understand them and you, you don't understand that that you would do it any other way. Yeah. Brilliant. And uh, I think that's just, I mean, that says so much about how you've ended up where you are today, that you were the only kid in the whole town that turned up for the excursion to the wind farm. <laughs> oh, bless. Um, now, do you, like, let me ask you as, an, as, a, as someone quite high up in Lego, do you get asked for free Lego all the time from family members, cousins, <laughs> people you know? Um, I don't get asked, I think, but people often expect it. I think they expect <laughs> it to turn up, you know, and, and that can be hard to manage because kids kids are really excited, you know, oh, is Tim coming to visit and, and, and what have you. And then then when you turn up and if you don't have any Lego with you, then they're, they're kind of like, oh, meh, mm. uh, why is he come again? So, um, no, no, <laughs> I, I think if you talk to my kids, certainly my son, he's four years old, I think he has a lot of Lego and I don't think he finds it that exciting. And I, I, um, anymore, not, yeah. um, I, uh, I also try and, you know, I grew up with Lego as a kid and it was, it was my favorite toy by a country mile. So, uh, yeah, it's, um, yeah. Nice. Kids, kids can uh, they, they can be quite brutal. Yeah, <laughs> they sure can. Like, it's like, doesn't he work for Lego? Where's my set? Yeah, <laughs> yeah where's, where's my stuff? Yeah. <laughs> um, and another little quick question I'd love to ask you is: Did you have a sustainability idol, like a first person who stood out to you as as like a wow, that's a real change maker in this world? Yeah, I have two actually, and one of one of them is certainly a bit obscure, um, and they came to be a bit later as, as I was going through my education. Um, I mean, originally we all grew up in the UK with David Bellamy, and he was a conservationist. I mean, I think he also is not sold on the idea of climate change, but that came later. But at the time, he was very much a conservationist around animals, and that was, you know, as, as kids, that's quite inspiring. But later on, a guy called Eugene uh, Morais, he wrote a book called The Soul of the White Ant. It's quite obscure, and I think Ooh. I'm not sure you could buy it, yeah. And it was about how ants uh, survive in their societies. But I was working in the building industry at the time and looking at heating and cooling systems, and it was really about... Um, how termites build their um, nests to take advantage of free cooling and they create these huge chimneys out in the desert you know from their termite nests very very tall and that idea of plant uh, of plants and animals already figuring out the solutions uh, using the natural kind of resources that they have to, to you know available to them mm. I, I was blown away by it and it, it, it's sort of a text that i think some building engineers when they're talking about heating and, and natural cooling and, and natural uh, heating they, they go to that text so that was one the other one i think is probably common known by many as rachel carson who wrote mm. silence for sort of the seminal i guess environmental text i guess late 60s it was or, or mid 50s so so that's that's a book that i think you can reread again and and try and put yourself back in that time as well yeah, and and also to kind of go, wow, we we still need to be standing up to this craziness now, you know, so many years later. 
Yeah, I think it's it's an interesting. It's just a, a really good text to to read, and that's the, you know that's the other the hero of mine. I think. Yeah. Mm, yeah, understandable. Um, and you mentioned education there. What did that look like for you? You sort of getting ready to finish school. What was the what was the trajectory between then and becoming uh, what you are today for Lego, which is just really rather impressive. Uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun for sure. Um, yeah, I, I left school. I did a, I did a, sort of a, ge- a geographical and, and physical science uh, subjects at school, and I went to university and, and did the same sort of thing. In it, you know, interested in the natural world and and, and physical uh, geography. Mm. And then I was looking at masters, and I and I there was a I had a there was a fork in the road. One masters I could you know I'd looked at the the, the natural world, and I and I was looking at petroleum geology. That was something that I found geology interesting, and 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 then the other one was in a, a course on environmental uh, technology. And uh, you know, even though I had that aha moment, I was sort of I was interested in technology. I was interested in the earth and planet, and and um, I went I went along the environmental technology route, even though I think at that point, you know, the the, the smart money was on petroleum geology. That's where you're going to earn the big money. Mm. I, I don't know. You know, it was something because I was more interested in it. And I think that that, again, is a piece of sort of my always my advice or thinking when people ask about careers is you should definitely go for try and take the long term perspective, go for the thing that you're really interested in, not not where the money necessarily is. And and that that was where it took it for me. And then but at, at the time it was, you know, and this is 15 years ago. It, it was still from an education point of view, there weren't many courses that were open on on the environment or environmental science and or if they were, they were very much about the local environment, about land pollution, runoff from uh, landfill sites, that kind of thing. They weren't around the sort of corporate social responsibility. That's changed now. Mm, you know, massively. Loads, yeah. Loads and loads of great courses out there. Mm. Um, uh, yeah, so, so th- there was a great feeling on that course. It was quite a sort of, you, you felt like pioneers. Where, yeah, where I was going to say, it must have been a real kind of changing of the tide and a feeling that you were at the forefront of things. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It was pretty exciting times. Mm. And then you found yourself as the, um, I'm sure you didn't find yourself there, I'm sure you earned it good and proper, but as the environmental or an environmental policy advisor for the City of London, how, what was that experience like for you? Yeah, I was working at uh, a, a, an ex-government agency called the Building Research Establishment, and that was a, a, an agency where we were trying to design buildings uh, to be more sustainable, essentially. And uh, uh, the, the Greater London Authority, the GLA, Ken Livingston, who was the mayor at the time, needed um, some support. So we, we uh, provided that, you know, I was sort of seconded in and then became a permanent position. And that was that was a great experience. You know, you, you get a, a grounding in uh, you know, I had the t- some of the technical background, but then you get the uh, the grounding in in the political environment and how to make the best choices, balancing up lots and lots of different uh, angles and inputs and and perspectives to to make some you know, to try and make the best choices. You know, and uh, um, I think that's all that often you know local government is trying to do is to try and make those best choices with all of the information. So super interesting. You get involved in lots of big projects and um, all the way from you know. Uh, should we be feeding pigeons in Trafalgar Square, and what if we stop feeding them? All the way to, uh, you know, should we should we be building a new Terminal Three at Heathrow Airport? So a huge range of of questions. Wow, and I'd imagine as um, you know, as someone who sort of started out with their awakening in beautiful 
ideals and incredible texts like Silent Spring. Um, did you ever find it confronting that the world um, isn't so black and white and it can't be perfect or not perfect, that there's often so many compromises and things you have to weigh up in between there? Did you ever struggle with that or do you now? Um, I think it's an adult reality. That's yeah, the same for yeah. so, all yeah. of us as adults, mm. you know, that the world is not as binary or black and white and uh, you're, you're trying to get the best deal. And I think the journey is a long one is what I would always say. You know, you're trying to, 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 to take the longer perspective and you have to make some difficult choices and trade-offs along the way. Mm. Um, but, yeah, as long as you can see it as a long-term journey and not a quick fix, I think you're, you're in the right place. Yeah, cool. Um, and I'd love to move on to Lego now if we can, because there's a lot to talk about there. And I re- I remember reading, I think it was two years ago, the announcement came out that the, that there was an undertaking, the first steps to set up that task force, move away from petroleum derived blocks by 2030. And I was like, oh my gosh, the low tox community is going to love this. Uh, I'm always such a champion of huge organizations wanting to make changes from within. Um, we're seeing that with uh, Unilever starting to um, disclose fragrance as an ingredient and what is actually being used in that. We're seeing, um, you know, some really exciting Hershey's saying no to genetically modified uh, ingredients in their chocolates, like massive companies. And when big companies do stuff, it sort of consolidates all the wonderful grassworks, grassroots work that all the little guys are doing around and goes, okay, let's turbocharge this. And so I got really excited and, um, and I've been following it closely and it was gorgeous to see the announcement that all the little trees in Lego sets uh, yeah. are now made from bioplastics. And I was like, right, it's time. We've got to get chatting to someone over there who's spearheading this. And that's how you and I have ended up talking today. So, um, I would love to hear uh, from your perspective as an insider how that all came to be. Yeah, so it was 2015, um, you know, and we've in Lego we've been working on I think sustainability for, for many many years, you know, before I came to Lego as well, you know, and, and if you want to track it right back, it's back to 1932 when the company started. I mean, it was always about, and I think many companies are the same. It was about looking after your employees, looking after the local environment, making sure you're not dumping rubbish, and 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 you know, and the the debate and the the world has changed as we've learned about some of these issues. So, so I would say it's always been at our core as a company. And I think, um, you know, we've been on that, you know, call it CSR, call it corporate responsibility, call it sustainability, what, what, what you will. Um, and this, I think this really, you know, came back, uh, we went out with the announcement in 15 and we made some, some real good strides on, um, our energy efficiency and our waste and uh, looking at some of those issues and on the social side on our code of conduct and how we work with our suppliers and it, we did an environmental impact assessment um, as well as talking to our owner family and Thomas Kirk who's the fourth generation owner a guy about my age um, is, is very passionate around um, you know triple bottom line and doing the right thing and, and, and sustainability and being a, a company uh, that has some strong values. So it, it was in conversation with him, and I think a lot of his ideas. You know, he said, "I want to be have a more uh, sustainable product." I think, and I think the conversation goes that he said, "I want a more sustainable product by the time I'm 50." And he said that to the CEO at the time, Jorn V. Mm. And Jorn V. <laughs> how old are you? You know, was his answer because he needed to. He, that was his first answer. Was how old are you? Um, because he, 
Want Start to madly out. working out the calculation and the timeline. Exactly, yeah. exactly that. So it was a kind of a both and, and I think we said, well, we're doing some great stuff in other areas, and, and this is the one area that where we need to double down and, and, and um, look at our impact. And Because we, when we do our CO2 footprint, you know, uh, uh, 75% of our, of our CO2 footprint comes, and this is across the entire value chain of the products, so from start to finish, not... Uh, 75% of that footprint is is in in our supply chain and comes from our suppliers and manufacturers of of the raw materials. Mm-hmm. So that's an obvious place to start. You know, only 10% is in our own operations, so the manufacturing of the of the product. Oh, that's interesting. Of course, yeah. Of course, that's where we have the most control is our own factories, and we're sort of unusual in 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 um, many industries is that we make all of our own uh, products. Mm. Uh, well, actually, but, that's know. in. Um, sorry to butt in here, but I been doing some research around carbon footprint uh, last year and I was shocked to find out some really brilliant uh, research that David Suzuki's actually put together and put on the David Suzuki website that uh, up to, which is totally in line with what you've just said, up to 90% of a product's carbon footprint happens before it leaves the, well, proverbial in this case, farm gate. Um, and the actual miles that things travel is um, not inconsequential, of course, 10%, still 10%, or 15 or 20 or 25 um, But it's it's really quite interesting just how big an impact the raw material itself has. Yeah, and it can depend across the industry, of mm. course, and whether your products use fuel or energy in their use. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, for us, it's, it's 75% in, in, that, in that supply chain and 10%, you know, is our own footprint. Mm. So, um, so it was an obvious place to start as well or an obvious place to focus on and say, well, uh, you know, what are the design choices we make in, in when we're making our, our sets and our packaging? Um, and what, where do we want to be? So you start from there and making the commitment. And uh, yeah, we can talk a bit about that, about, you know, why is it 2030 and, 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 um, and uh, the, the difficulties involved. Yeah. So why is it 2030? Well, I, you know, I think it, it's, it's a hugely ambitious <laughs> It's quite it's many, just around the well, corner. Well, I think many people come back and say, well, that's many years or it's some years ahead in the future. And, mm. uh, and you know, it's, it's more of a joke that Thomas... Uh, you know, our current owner said he wanted it by 50. It's more also about setting something that's stretching and ambitious. It's, you know, it's like uh, Kennedy with the moon race. You want to put a man on the moon by the end of the decade. You know, mm. you have to target to focus people behind it and make it stretching. And, and it is a hard challenge. It is really, really difficult. Uh, you know, on the bricks themselves, you know, we're trying to find something that has the same quality and safety. And that's, that's our, you know, our two primary purposes of quality and safety that's what the lego group is known for mm. and that's hard in and of itself and you know within that quality you've got color you know you build a, a wall of bricks they all need to be the same color so you mm. get the same color rendering and some colors are easier than others we've got a shininess to the bricks that people really want those some of the bricks to be really shiny you've got a precision in the molding so we mold our bricks to about two microns which is less than the thickness of a human hair it's a very very precise piece of uh, injection molding um, and you won't find that in many other uh, injection molding applications because of course the bricks have to stick together and mm-hmm. make these models that your your son was talking about yeah but also uh, your son be- have to be able to tear them apart as well and pull them apart and that's what we call the clutch power and that clutch power is 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 a really really important capability um, and you know so that precision level is you don't see that you know don't see it in many consumer products that kind of precision you know you normally get a gap of a millimeter or a 
couple of millimeters, you know, you can allow for a couple of millimeters in, 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 in molding. Mm. Uh, we're right down to the micron scale. Um, and, there's, you know, even down to there's a noise, there's a noise of bricks that as you mix them together, a big bucket of bricks. And um, so we're, Oh, we're I know that noise very well. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And, and, you know, that, that, that's why it's, it's a really difficult uh, challenge. And I think there are some materials out there, but they don't uh, uh, often meet all of those or some many of those criteria, particularly around the, the quality and safety. So we, we've got close with many, many materials. But but yeah, it's a difficult challenge. And that's why, you know, the, the date is where it is, is because we think it's um, we hope it's achievable, but it's still stretching. Yeah, but I love having an actual date because it's like Steve Howard says from Ikea in his amazing TED talk, which I'll pop in the show notes for people who haven't seen it. Um, and I'm sure you've seen it, Tim, but it's, you know, that's why they're deciding on 100% sustainable. Because if you say we're going to be 90% sustainable, the entire company is going to try and play in the 10% and make excuses. And whereas if you make a, a real, you know, commitment, then we all have to base every design decision, every supply decision, everything on is this sustainable? And I think that's um, it's just so admirable when companies of your size uh, do do make these um, these really challenging deadlines. I think it's great. It's what we yeah, need, we know, really, isn't it? At the end of the day, know Steve really well as well. And oh, I, do I, you? I oh, heard, cool. I've actually heard the same thing from Keith Weed, who's the chief marketing officer of Unilever. So I don't know whether it was Keith who who came up with the that people will try and hide in the ninety percent, or yeah. with, whether came up with that. But they can argue on that between themselves. Yeah, they can. <laughs> I'm sure he had a quick beer with Steve after the talk and went, "Ah, mate, that was mine." <laughs> Um, now, I'd love to know, um, of uh, because you've probably made lots of trials, errors, uh, successes, what's the best finding you've made so far as a team working towards this uh, deadline? I think, you, you know, we have, we have lots of different findings. I think the one, the, the, the sort of aha moment for us was about how we can drive innovation um, through sustainability and, and so it doesn't have to be an either or and, and actually that was something we discovered quite early on with something we call design for disassembly so within within our elements so the individual bricks and pieces we, we look at them and we rate them from red through to green um, green is where we have just a single material and red is where we have many materials and yellow is where we have only two materials and the idea being is to try and reduce the number of materials to make the product more recyclable so design for disassembly the fact you know and, and we realized there but by changing we had a duplo wheelbase and we um i'm actually going to grab it in here we we uh we took out a metal axle that was on a duplo wheelbase and we replaced it with plastic plugs and what we found is that it could be manufactured quicker it was safer because the the the, the wheels were plugged on instead of a metal axle which could be taken out um and it, it, the cost was slightly cheaper and the sustainability increased by 20 percent. and so it, it was that kind of thinking of looking with a green lens at a problem and then you come out with a solution that's better all around it doesn't happen in all cases but you know looking at things and saying we're trying to get a better solution that is also sustainable not either or not it's sustainable or it's a better solution it's an it's an and rather than an or case mm, yeah gotcha and um in terms of uh harder tougher days at the office has there been like a, a, an experiment that was likely to surely do super well and wow this was going to be a real moment for us and then it failed like was have you had any really bad news days 
So no, I, I think, I mean, there's ups and downs for sure. There's things that work and things that don't work. And of course, you know, we, we failing means we're trying, right? Yes. We say, like if you go skiing, if, if you're not falling down or like riding a bike, if you're not falling down and hurting yourself, you're not really learning. You're mm. not really getting getting better at skiing or riding a bike or whatever. I totally agree. I love, um, oh, who's the woman who's the founder of Spanx? Uh, the, oh, gosh, I can't remember her name just now. But um, her dad, all through growing up, asked her and her brother every single day at the dinner table, what have you failed at today? And if you can't mm. tell me that you failed at something, then I want you to fail at, like, try more stuff tomorrow. So that you failed at something yeah. every day because it means you're trying and then you, you have statistically a greater chance of success. Yeah, and you know, I think sometimes you know we're learning on the on the physical side, and, and often it's on the more mental side, it's like looking at a problem in a different way, or saying, "Oh, I didn't realize that people were concerned about that," or, or, or you know, something like that. I think again around that, you know, the hardest part or the, the 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 trying and learning is for us is on on ABS. So ABS is sort of the the plastic we use most frequently, mm-hmm. and it's in about. 75, 80% of our bricks. Uh, and that's just a really difficult plastic to, 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 to replicate in a, in, uh, in a, you know, a more sustainable uh, route. Um, looking at recycled ABS and trying to find sources of quality and safety of, of that recycled material. Uh, looking at bio-based equivalents, you know, and, and again, back to my point around, you know, the color, the, the shape, the precision, the safety, you know, th- those are just the daily learnings and, 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 you know, the trade-offs and talking about trade-offs internally as well. Mm, interesting. Um, and in terms of the fact that there's already some bioplastics in circulation with the little green Lego plants and trees, um, how have these been made? So what, what, what was the bioplastic used? Um, and are you going to be continuing with that material? Like, are you happy with it at this point? Mm-hmm. So those those softer elements, um, you know, we have about 20 different materials we use. And mm. as I said, the biggest one is ABS, but the, the softer elements are made from uh, polyethylene. And that's in the trees and plants, but it's actually also in uh, things like there's a mini figure fishing rod or a... Oh, I know uh, that one. Yep. Car wash brushes that can also... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, street sweeper brushes. So anything that's kind of soft and a bit more flexible is, is made out of polyethylene. So it's a bio... Uh, polyethylene so it's it's a similar um, material is is the raw material is a bio base so it comes from sugarcane a brazilian sugarcane mm-hmm. um, and then we use the the second pressing of the of the sugarcane so it's it's used first in food food applications and then use the second pressing and then it's using that as ethanol you take then take the ethanol uh, you take the sugar and then you make that into ethanol and then you use the ethanol uh, to make the monomers and then you combine the pon- monomers into a polymer and that's mm-hmm. where, where you the, the polyethylene, yeah. um, uh, you know, multiple chains, multiple strands of the same thing. So that's that's sort of the the, the process, really. Mm. Um, and um, that one is then we can substitute one material with the other. Um, other uh, applications, we're having to look at how do we modify materials and how do we how do we you know change them. And there's also the case that you know we may be in a situation where we don't get a, a one for one replacement, where one material needs to be replaced by several different mm, material gotcha. by the, the the strength or the physical safety or you know and each brick often has a specific function it needs to either hold on to something or be structurally safe in one dimension or another dimension uh you know and and they will all have it's particularly in our technic range which is for 
for our older children, you know, sort of 10 and upwards, there's a lot of stresses and strains. And, and when we look at those 20 different materials, they all do different things. You know, some we want high friction, some we want low friction. You know, we, we don't want things to squeak when they're supposed to move uh, against each other. Um, but then on some of the some elements, you want them to have a lot of friction so that they stick together. Um, and then, you know, we've got different materials like rubbers as well. The tires, I think, we're supposed, supposedly the world's largest tire maker. Uh, yeah, just very, I remember reading that. Very, That's crazy to think, huh? Yeah, yeah. So we're making millions and millions of those. So so there's lots of different materials. It's not just the sort of two by four bricks. So, so you know, we're trying, as I say, it may be that, that some materials, uh, we need multiple materials to replace one. Right. And is it um, realistic to think that you can um, become part of the, uh, like the post-consumer, um, uh, what am I trying to say, like the, literally rescuing plastics that already exist for your production, at least in part? And that's the main challenge is on that quality and safety. Of mm. course, there is plastic out there and we're looking at it all the time. Um, but what we know is when people buy Lego, they buy it because it's super safe and it's super high quality. So so what we are trying to do is work on a technical basis, but also work on a policy basis. And that's, again, you know, back to the beginning of, of our talk around why knowing a bit about uh, government and policy and is important as well is, you know, we're trying to get uh, it's a both and we're trying to work with industry and work with government to say, can we have. Can we develop standards for recycled materials and maybe we end up with five grades of material from sort of food grade, medical grade, you know, down to lower grades or whatever, you mm. know, and those are the kind of things that we need to do uh, to, 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 to stimulate the market and, you know, the market out there on both bio-based and recycled material. Um, and that's why we don't sort of really say out of oil because we would also potentially look at recycled material where it makes sense as well. Absolutely. Um, you know, I'm just thinking of the work that like, um, Boyat's doing and the ocean cleanup. Like, imagine if you could then rescue millions of tons of plastic, turn it into Lego, in or, or at least one of the materials that you use. It'd be pretty exciting to be able to achieve that. And we're we're looking at all options. You know, everything's on the table, and we've always we've always said that. You know, mm. from the wild and and the fantastic to to the more practical. The question is on the market is to. You know, there's a chicken and egg as well. Is yeah. that the, the market is out there saying we will build the capacity if you will buy it, and we will, you know, us and others like us are saying we will buy it if if it's available. Mm. So you know, at some point we need to start inching our way along that that uh, that that line, and I think that's why you know we believe it's important to make a commitment and a date and say, well, this is when we want it to happen. So to to in some way, you know, inspire our own people, inspire kids inspire ourselves but also to try and stimulate those those markets as well yeah absolutely and then you know maybe there comes a point where instead of us saying we'll buy it if you make it we'll say okay actually we want you to make it and we're going to help you make it like let's actually turn this into a really exciting collaborative effort so that we yeah, can help you help us get the raw materials we need and there's all kinds of collaborations going on. You know, we're working with universities, with, with raw material suppliers, with one-man bands, all kinds of things. You know, we're trying to work with, with lots of different types of, uh, of organizations and agencies all the way from the technical to the policy side to make it happen. Mm, cool. Um, now, one of the concerns, and you've, you've um, touched on this already a couple of times, is that fact that Lego is just so darn durable. 
And, uh, you know, I'm still, you know, my son plays with Lego that I played with as a kid uh, or that my husband played with as a kid. And um, and I, I'm sure that's one of the considerations because a lot of the younger new generation um, <clears throat> plastics is um, you can just tell that they're a little bit more brittle, a little bit less long lasting. Is there kind of a lesser of the evils here that we need to consider? Like back to that, nothing is black and white, and we have to we have to make a trade. Like you know, is it better to have something that's going to last a hundred years um, or uh, something that, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Yeah, I don't think our durability has changed. I would definitely say that. I think mm. we've always made a product that is that lasts for, for generations. That's part of who we are. Yeah. So I think new elements are just as durable, if not more durable than, than they ever have been. Awesome. Um, you know, that's something that is very core to us. You know, when we when we started the Sustainable Materials uh, mission, if you like, we said there were some non-negotiables. One, you know, it's quality and safety, as I've talked talked already, and durability was the other one because mm. we could have made a, a choice on durability and said, well, maybe durability isn't as important, and we can make them degrade quicker or or what have you. And no, we said that's a very strong strategic choice. Uh, that's the company we are. That's people uh, expect Lego to be durable. It's you know, it's a quality product. Um, you know, and one. What, what we're trying to do and we'll do more of, uh, you know, going forward is to make sure that uh, people know how to pass on Lego and how to recycle it at the end of its, uh, at the, you know, at, at the end of its natural life. And it, it will have a natural life at some point. It, you know, that's a physical reality. Mm. It's just it doesn't have a natural life at the end of one generation use. You know, uh, it's like many, many products. It, it, it's multi-generational. I'm, you know, I'm giving a bucket like you. I'm giving a bucket of Uh, bricks to my son who's uh, four years old and I had them when I was a kid and I actually think some of them my dad had because we everything we've made since 1958 uh, fits together oh Um, wow so so there's not you guys need to teach apple a thing or two about that (laughs) always bloody well changing the shapes of plugs and things there's no, yeah, I, I think, you know, for us, that's, you know, that 1958 is, is that was when we first applied for the patent on the, on the brick. Yeah. Um, and um, that's something that we, you know, the, the, the system in play, as we call it, all of the dimensions are standardized across our system in play. They're, they're all interlock. And it's amazing how, you know, even today when I'm playing with, the, with, with Lego, I, I find, oh, and that fits into that. And that fits into that, you know, because they're all based on a set of standard dimensions. Mm. Um you know, and you look at how we apply our elements. I'm just looking at a box now. We've got a Mini Cooper Creator, which is a bit for older uh, kids and adults. And um, that's a really cool model. And, and the door handle for that car is an ice skate from, from a minifigure. So, you know, oh, the cool. thing, everything fits together. And you know, we're trying to find different different ways to use the same uh, elements as well. Yeah, well, that, that helps you bring production costs down as well, which means you can keep prices down for things if you can use one part for two different sets, right? I think it's about trying to stretch the imagination creativity, you know, of our designers and saying, you know, let's let's use lots of, uh, you know, how can you, uh, and you look at any of those sets out there, you'll see different things. I think there's a, a creator set making a building where we use skis as part of the, 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 the decoration over the door and bits and pieces like that. But I mean, I think in durability terms, you know, we, we want to in- improve our, 
um, outreach around, uh, you know, passing down the product or, or, and then, you know, eventually directing people how to recycle it at, at the end of its uh, natural life, whenever that happens. And we don't see many examples of that happen. I think there's, you know, if, if, if it's used in a kindergarten every day, then eventually, of course, the bricks don't fit together quite as well. But that's after some seriously hard mm. <laughs> play over a long period of time. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm picturing those crash test dummies in Volvo commercials, you know, just like running something through the ringer over and over again. Yeah, I think if a toy can last a, a kindergarten uh, for, for, for 10 or 15 years, then it's doing pretty well. <laughs> Um, now these, some of the new plastics that you're trialing, like I've always been curious about this since I sort of started to look at the world of bioplastics and what was being done, um, and looking at the disastrous situation, you see an amazing documentary like, uh, Albatross, for example, by Chris Jordan, and you see these beautiful birds, tummies being cut open, all that horrible plastic inside. If one of these bioplastics made out of sugarcane falls into the ocean and degrades theirs. It still does it stay hard and dangerous to wildlife in the same way as petroleum-based plastic? Well, I think you know our first and foremost challenge is to make sure that they don't. So, so that's about you know providing mm. those that to, to. And there's no reason why it should. Yeah. Um, you know, our what we're trying to do is make a product that lasts for a long time. You know that is that is 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 valuable enough to people. You know that have emotional reaction uh, and an emotional connection. That I think, as you said, you know, with your Lego and and my Lego, and you know, and, and we're trying to create something that has great play value. And and with that great play value, that you want to hang on to it, and mm. and you don't not careless with it. So so I think you know that's ultimately where we're going um, with with that. I think um, yeah yeah. Okay. Um, and so no studies have yet been done, though, on, on what happens to it in like an ocean body or, or anything like that. Well, you know, in terms of its chemical composition, it's, it's, a, it's a similar as a, you know, as a normal plastic. So it would be the same as any other plastic that gotcha. would end up there. And uh, as I say, I mean, the issue for me is not the material, is is the way we... It's the habit, yeah. It's, treat the material uh you know it is a fantastic material a, a bio-based uh, polyethylene is a fantastic material and, and we need to respect it as well mm, and keep it out of our oceans people keep those plastics out um now another question that i've had from the community once um people found out that we were having a chat today uh it's um you know there's a lot of awakening around endocrine disruptive chemicals um especially those found in a lot of plastics, um, obesogenic compounds, uh, B BPA, BPS, phthalates. Um, do you know whether the, any of those can be found in any of the Lego materials, or certainly the ones moving forward? So in the in the uh, the bio-based polyethylene, yeah, it's BPA-free. That's a polyethylene material that doesn't have uh, BPA in it. You know, there's mm. something that we're constantly focusing on the on the safety of 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 our products and looking at. The, you know the legislation and looking at the chemical composition of it and you know also looking at, it's not just chemical composition it's also physical safety as well there's two aspects to toy safety there's one what's it made out of and the other one is how it performs mm -hmm. uh, but uh, you know bpa is, is not in biopolyethylene it's not in polyethylene yeah and phthalates and phthalates in lego we've been free of phthalates for decades now Yay, i think we, everybody can we have a little cheer out there yeah, we were one of the first movers mm. on, on, I 
I think. So, um, but you know, it, it's a, it's an evolving science, and we're constantly keeping ahead of the game. Yeah, and what's beautiful about being in the EU is you've got that wonderful precautionary principle that's far more sound than uh, than Australia and the US in terms of. Uh, how things are manufactured and what gets used and how fast things get put into the supply chain uh, before really doing a, a, a due diligence on, on what that's going to look like. So um, I'd imagine working in the EU, that's already that already keeps you ahead of the game in terms of safety for people's health in, to a certain extent. We have, you know, we have the same standards globally. We make a global product and, and you know, it's made in, in, in factories here in Denmark and, and also around the world. So, mm. you know... For us, we we need an eye. We need to keep an eye on global legislation, but also on what's the right thing to do as well. But you know, the brick you buy in Australia is the same brick as the one you buy here in Denmark. Oh no, no, yes, no. I didn't think that, that Australian Lego was any different. I just mean but, a company but, that's based in the EU would would just naturally have a bit more of a um, a precautionary principle because it is part of the EU chemicals charter that we don't have here, for example. Sure. Mm. Um, and uh, what else do I want to ask you? So much stuff. I was going to ask you about raw materials. We kind of covered that with the, the sugar cane. I think that's fantastic. But I, I'd love to know because a lot of people are also concerned with um, even uh, bio, uh, biofuels and, and um, there's certainly things that come from corn and soy, worried about genetically modified uh, ingredients, worried about soil health. Uh, we're quite an environmental uh, community, as you can tell. Uh, can you talk to us a little bit about what your stance is there in terms of um, genetically modified uh, plants? Yeah, and it's good. It, you're absolutely right. It's good to ask the questions. I mean, bio-based does not. It's not a panacea. It's not. Mm. A, it's not. It doesn't mean that every every problem goes away. Exactly. It, uh, you know, for us in Lego, it, it, it comes with a bunch of other things we need to think about that we've never really thought about, such as, as you mentioned, deforestation, soil health, water, fertilizer use, uh, um, health and well-being of workers on agricultural land, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, you know, we've worked really hard with uh, with um, WWF and and uh, with our suppliers and third parties to to sort of verify where the the product comes from. I mean, the the uh, sugarcane from uh, Brazil is not GMO sh- uh, sugarcane. It is a, it's a, a natural plant variant, mm-hmm. if you like. Um, but it's it, there are issues that that any company, when they're looking at bio-based alternatives to fossil fuels, uh, needs to start thinking about. And I wouldn't say we have all the answers. We're on a journey on that one as well. And uh, you know, trying to understand what it means for us as a company when we go into that sphere and not hopefully not blindly going into it, but, but trying to, to do some research and get the, the relevant third party um, verification. But, you know, yeah, we shouldn't be naive to think that it, it solves the problem. It opens up a few other things that you need to think about. Yeah. You know, when we're introducing new materials, we need to make sure that it has no impact on that biodiversity, on food security, you know, on water consumption. And, you know, we'll, as I said, we're working with WWF and they have a, a group called the Bioplastic Feedstock Alliance, which we work closely with and, and follow their guidelines on responsibly sourced materials. Oh, that is brilliant. Oh, fantastic. I'll, um, I'll make sure I include some information on that um, for any, any of the nerds out there who want to look more at that, um, that partnership with WWF because I know we have a lot of people who donate to that organisation in the community. So that's cool, super cool. Um, now, I've also read, actually, uh, that you guys have 
purchased two wind farms, am I right, that are going to be offsetting all of the energy produced by Lego by 2020? Is that still on track to happen? Or Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah we... Um... We, uh, through our parent company, which is Kirkby, uh, so that's the, the, the family uh, company that, you know, owns Lego and it's, you know, owned by the, the, the same family since the start. Mm. Um, through that parent company, we've invested in two wind farms, uh, one off the coast of Germany, about 50 kilometers off the f- coast of Germany and one off the coast of the UK, uh, off, offshore from Liverpool. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've invested a share of both of those wind turbines, I think 30 turbines on the first farm, I think it's about 24 on the second farm. Um, and those added up together balance our energy consumption for all of our offices, factories, shops, etc. globally. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that was super exciting, and and just when we opened that second wind farm, uh, middle of last year, uh, that took us to our 2020 target. So we could then sort of proudly say that we're 100% balanced by uh, renewable energy capacity. Um, yes. And the, you know, they're big investments, you know. And when you go out to see those turbines, they're, they're huge things, and uh, and very important that we we again we get those investments right. And and the other thing is to try and talk to people about it, talk to children, talk to our employees, talk to um, you know, the, the people uh, who, you know, the stakeholders out there in the world. And so we've done fun things. You know, we we, um, we did a special Lego set just for um, Christmas for our employees with our first wind turbine. We made a little boat and uh, you could put the wind turbine onto the boat and sail it out and jack up the legs. And build oh, how cool. So that, that was just for, you know, internally for our employees. And that was a really, really sweet set. And then in there, we tried to write about, you know, why have we made this investment and what does it mean to be balanced by renewable energy? And then when we opened the second wind farm, we built the um, the world's biggest wind turbine in Lego bricks, because at the time they were the world's biggest physical turbines. I think they still are. I see the eight megawatt turbines. Wow. And we, so we built we built this huge uh, model, seven and a half meters tall model. I think it weighs about six tons of lego bricks and uh we got loads of kids down and we we just had tried to have lots of conversations about renewable energy and 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 what does it mean and why is it important because i think the other thing is you know often these um because of the curvature of the earth some of these um turbines are actually out of sight from land or most of them are you know 50 kilometers out Mm. the curvature of the earth means you can't actually see it so we're trying to find ways of bringing that uh, message and that investment alive to our employees and to, to, to kids and say, you know, I think in Lego only two people have ever seen the, the turbines of, off the coast of Germany, you know, those are our owners. So mm. how can we inspire people internally in the company? And, you know, we've also announced uh, that we're going to put um, 20,000 solar panels on the roof of our factory in China um, to acknowledge the fact that, you know, we're, we're trying to do our bits both offshore and, you know, uh, sometimes a long way away from our factories, but also uh, on our factories as well. Amazing. Such such an incredible thing. And uh, it, it's so inspiring because if a, a company your size can do it, then we can all do it. And, um, and the fact that something as big as Lego is uh, leading the charge here means we start to develop some economies of scale as well on a global scale, which is really exciting stuff. And uh, it's, it's really only the beginning. Um, if you thought about the last month at work with your team, uh, your immediate team, what do you think the most exciting thing that you've worked on has been in this past month? Um, I think what we're, it's all pretty, you know, exciting. We get involved in such a range of things, you know, as mm. I say, from building building the world's biggest turbine out of Lego bricks to playing with kids to, you know, to, to really getting 
down on um, uh, consumer, well, consumer insights, talking to consumers about and, and parents and children about what they want on this sustainable sustainability journey. I think that's been pretty exciting is, is hearing firsthand what what parents and children and, you know, uh, grandparents, people who buy and, and, and use the product, what they're looking for in our company and, you know, talking to your son just now as well. I find that the most exciting part. Yeah. Do you get to talk to kids often? Yeah, we, you know, often in focus groups, to be honest. So we have to have a way of controlling it and making the data valid. So, you know, it, it has to be genuinely what people would really do and what they would really buy and what they really feel rather than, you know, sort of. But of course, we get to talk to them ad hoc as well in terms of doing, you know, these events, as we said at the beginning, called Build the Change, where we, we get children to we ask children to build a, their sustainable school, for example, out of Lego. So you just get a lot of great time interacting with children. And, you know, and we should do. We're a, we're a toy company. We should be <laughs> talking to children all the time. You know? I'd imagine it'd be quite useful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, of course, and that's what we do. And and, and to hear that passion and, and you know, and, and I'm just looking now, you know, I'm talking in my office and my wall opposite me is covered in letters from kids and, Aww. you know, how, what they love about Lego, what they would like us to, to, to change. And, and that, you know, that inspires you know we're definitely we're, we're a company we say we want to inspire and develop the builders of tomorrow mm. um and that's our sort of that's our motto and and we really you know we we genuinely believe that and and, and it's it's very important that you know that the adults of the future the, the moms the dads the the, the police men and women and the, the school teachers and the politicians they're, they're all the kids today you know mm. and in 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 15 20 years time they're the adults so what we do with them today determines what kind of world we have in the future and i think any parent can identify with that for sure um so yeah those are those are often the most exciting things i think we're working a lot on packaging at the moment that's you know when we talk about sustainable materials it's not just about the bricks i think that's where we naturally gravitate to mm. but it's also packaging you know we've been shrinking the size of the boxes we've done that on average 18 percent you know taking a lot of air out and material out uh, taking like four thousand trucks off the road and um, by making those boxes smaller you can put more in a truck Golly, really is that a is yeah. that a global stat of what it's meant so to shrink yeah wow thousand deliveries off by shrinking the box uh, 18% so we took all the models and we put them in the next size box down so essentially we have some standard box sizes yeah uh, and you know working on 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 um, on all of those aspects working on the bags inside the boxes working on how we glue the boxes working on the ink that we print the boxes on so you know really trying to look at that packaging system holistically in the same way we do as uh, 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 the bricks as well you know and is the cardboard post-consumer that the box is made out of? On average, globally, and of course, we, we, we source from lots of different places because uh, mm. we manufacture in five different uh, factories, all the same, all the same factories actually globally. But on average, it's 75% uh, PCR, so uh, uh, sorry, post-consumer waste, PCW, mm -hmm. uh, and 100% FSC certified. So that was one of our key stipulations. Ah, cool. Has to be uh, FSC uh, certified. So that was another thing that we we did recently was change our certification on all the cardboard. And you know, we're trying to increase that seventy five percent post consumer, you know, recycled material uh, higher. Again, around some quality, making sure that you still get that same quality. You do sometimes you need some virgin fibre in there as well. But as 
you know, with as long as we believe, as long as it's FSC certified as well, that's that's a step in the right direction. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, when I um, first had a conversation with my publisher for my book that's coming out in a couple of months, I um, I said there there are only two things I care about in terms of how it looks, and it's not what you think. Uh, I don't want to be on the cover. A B. Uh, I want it to come from FSC certified paper um, if it can't come from post-consumer. And B and C, I want it to be phthalate three, free, none of those like glossy kind of um, covers with spot UV and all that kind of stuff. I just want it really, really natural. And she was like, you know, I've never been asked for any of that before, but I'm excited. So I think we can all do our little bit, right? I think, you know, it, it, it's about the, the, the questions that you ask and, and, you know, again, talking to children or adults, it's, it's, it's about asking those questions of, of, of companies and, and can can help us get better. Mm. I, I, you know, we've talked a lot about what we've been up to and we don't have all the answers. You know, we're not saying we're perfect. We're saying we're trying to improve and trying to get better. And, and that's a journey. And, and you know, it's asking for input. And, and you know, we, we encourage people to write to us if there's something that concerns them, if their kids, you know, have an issue they want to raise, please, you know, please write to us. We'll always try and respond and always and always take it on board. And that's why I say, you know, I put every, nearly every letter, or certainly every letter I get up on the on my board so I can look at them and both for ideas, but also just, you know, as a bit of inspiration when, when, when you're having a tough day. Mm, yeah, absolutely. It keeps you attached to that beautiful purpose and that crazy goal of 2030. Exactly. Mm. Yeah, exactly. So um, it's been an absolute joy uh, getting a little insight into uh, the, the work that you guys have been doing. Uh, so I really thank you so much, Tim, for, for being so open about everything that's going on and for being so transparent about how you're not perfect. You know, it's, it really is a journey. And to admit that we're all just on one, I think the sooner we can all do that of each other, it doesn't mean we forgive people who don't keep putting feet forward you know because we've all got to do that in um in the current climate of our beautiful planet but at the same time we have to recognize when efforts are being made and i i want to thank you personally and on behalf of our whole community for the efforts that lego are making um uh and uh and i'm just excited to keep following the journey i think we'll have to check back in in a, in a couple of years on the show and see how it how it's going um, but I'd love to finish with um, some personal advice from you as someone who's worked so closely with what moves our, our populations and planet forward in terms of sustainability and regeneration and, and all the good things that we need a heck of a lot more of in our, in our world. If you had to advise people on just three things that they could do in their daily life that could have the greatest impact on the health of our planet uh, moving forward, what would you give as as three big priorities? That's a really good question, isn't it? <laughs> a nice place. To um, I think, I guess, first and foremost, priority would be find that for me, find that connection with with nature. You know, it's it's you know whether it's in Australia, you learn how to surf or go hiking or grow your own vegetables or plants or whatever it is. You know, try and connect somehow with nature so you understand you know the the world out there and and why it's important and and make that connection i think it can be hard to 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 uh to make choices and 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 move on on this agenda unless you know what you're kind of working towards so that Mm. you know even if you know if you're in an inner city environment grow a window box or something yeah nice like that i think the second one is is for me is is buying quality products and you can say ah well you would say that you work for them but <laughs> I, I, I definitely 
I definitely mean it, you know, buy things that last a long time, that are quality. Then we talk about the circular economy, make it one big circle, not lots of little circles, um, you know, and uh, and that's something then you can invest in and, and you know, maybe spend a bit more for, for something that lasts a bit longer. And then I think the last thing is, is you know, sort your waste, sort, sort, sort waste out into your bins and your recycle. Make sure you, you, you know, do what your municipality is asking you to do and, 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 and rinse the things if they want you to rinse them and put them in the right bins. I think that also shows that, you know, the municipality or wherever you live, that, that you're, you're on board. So, but I think the first and foremost one, as I say, is to try and make that connection and remind yourself why why you're interested in it in the first place and yeah, if, why if, you, if you made that connection you know if you've already made that connection go out and make it again you know go for a mountain bike ride this evening when you get home or whatever yeah and what does that connection look like for you how do you connect to nature yeah i i'm really lucky where we live here in denmark well lucky when the summer comes in the winter it's pretty <laughs> not so lucky in the winter yeah. <laughs> cold. You know, we live near the sea and i go mountain biking and i go uh, ocean swimming when the water gets a little bit above freezing and uh, and uh, you know i go uh, hiking with the kids and, and cycling so try and i'm a I'm an outdoor kind of sporty person by nature. And I know not everyone is into, into sports, but that, that, you know, that's why I sort of say, well, grow vegetables or, 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 you know, go for a short hike or something like that. But yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm up for sort of mountain biking and, and uh, ocean swimming. Those are my things. Yeah. Nice. Um, and have you met uh, the author, um, Mike Viking, the New York times bestselling author of the little book of Huga, little book of Luca? From yeah, uh, well, my wife knows him really well. My mu- wife wrote a book called The Year of Living Danishly. Um, oh, which... right. I didn't know that. Oh, how cool. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, so she, she and Mike know each other pretty well. Because I was going to uh... say, just in talking to you, I thought you guys would get along so well because I've had Mike <laughs> on the show and I thought I'm going to write an email intro after this, but it looks like you're all sorted. So... No, no, absolutely. Yeah, I think they, they, um, they, I don't know whether it was in partnership or they, they did it individually, but they seemed to bring the concept of Hugger somehow last Christmas to the UK. So that was quite fun, I think. Uh, nice. Uh, you talk to a lot of Danes and they say, well, how can you, uh, how can you write about Hugger or how can you, how can you export that? You know, it, it, either you have Hugger or you don't have Hugger. So, uh, uh, but yeah, no, that, that's, um, yeah, he's uh, he, he's he's great. Yeah, he's a legend, and so are you, Tim. So, well, we're a small country as well. Yeah, exactly. Five million people in Denmark, so everyone knows each other. <laughs> nice. Um, uh, look, it was such a great conversation. I just want to say thank you again, and to everybody listening, all the details in the show notes for anything extra that we mentioned that we talked about. I've popped all the links as usual for you to keep reading, keep being informed, and stay connected to the work you're doing. Tim, with one final, final question, if we want to stay really close to the the efforts towards this 2030 goal, what's the best way for us to do that? Yeah, check check our um, our website. So uh, lego.com, I think it's forward slash responsibility. We've, we've tried to update it last year to something called the Planet Crew, mm-hmm. uh, where we're trying to sort of engage with kids and do some fun videos. And we did a really great video with um, uh, Lego Batman and Robin using uh, Ray Fines and, and all of those guys were really generous in their time in, in sort of helping us do some fun environmental uh, type videos as well. So yeah, check out our website. We've tried to do our annual report, uh, our resp- what we call our responsibility report. We've tried to make that much more sort of parent and kid friendly this year as well. Awesome. Um, so. So that's where it's all on, you know, search Lego Planet Crew. And uh, yeah, hopefully it will all be there. 
Fantastic. Thanks so much again. Thanks a lot. And it was an absolute pleasure talking to you. It's, uh, as I say, it's always really great to, to knock some of these ideas around. So thanks a lot for giving me some time. You're super welcome. I hope you enjoyed today's show. Have a wonderful week. And before I sign off, I just want to say thank you to each and every one of you that writes a review or leaves a five-star rating on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever it is you listen to the show. We appreciate it so much. It's the best way you can say thank you because it helps us stay visible and it helps people who haven't listened to the show before but who might come across it in a search think, "Mm, I might give that a go. So I appreciate that and I'm wishing you the best week. Until next week, you can catch us on lowtoxlife.com and if you want to check out those show notes, remember to put forward slash podcast and it'll take you straight there. Otherwise, I'll also see you on Instagram. I'm always posting there. It's a little bit more uh, personal and a look at sort of how I eat and what I do and my dad's pictures of blossoms and whatever else is going on. And that's at Low Tox Life. Have a great week and I'll see you next week. Bye.